Talked about husbands last week. We're going to talk about wives this week. And just as last week when we talked about uh, husbands, we didn't let the wives off the hook. When we talked about uh, wives this week, we're not going to let the husbands off the hook. So uh, husbands, just like they couldn't go to sleep last week, uh, you can't go to sleep uh, this week. So 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, beginning in, uh, we're starting in verse, uh, verse 1 today, and uh, talking about uh, wives and uh, marriage and um, all the uh, things that go along uh, with it. One of the things, uh, as we talk about this, as we look at uh, the idea uh, and the concept of uh, of marriage and husbands and uh, and wives uh, that I, I think we need to uh, start with uh, is the idea, uh, almost a uh, um, an urban legend, if you will, uh, what we have uh, what we have talked about, or the the mindset, if you will, uh, of uh, of people. You hear a lot of times uh, people talking about. Uh, about marriage and talking about uh, the condition uh, of marriage and uh, uh, the bad state uh, of, uh, of marriage. And I'm sure all of you have heard people talk about uh, the divorce rate uh, being around uh, 50%. Uh, and that is uh, a little bit uh, misleading uh, when, uh, when you actually break it down uh, and look at it. Uh, one of the scariest things that are being said uh, about marriage uh, is that the divorce rate among Christians uh, is roughly the same uh, as it is about uh, in the general population. And that is a, uh, a real controversial statement uh, that, uh, that uh, is not, again, completely uh, accurate. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how, how much you mess with stats and uh, those kind of things, but uh, statistics can be uh, manipulated pretty good. Uh, I, I remember it's been 30 years ago, uh, down on 85, down about Gaffney, going towards Greenville, uh, there was a sign, big billboard, and I don't know why in the world uh, somebody put this billboard up, uh, but in hindsight, uh, I do realize now how accurate they were. Uh, it said if all the statisticians in the world were laid end to end, it'd be a good thing. Uh, because you can, you know, you, you know some statisticians have been known to uh, spout out some things that are, uh, are just wrong. Uh, just, uh, but again, you can take uh, and, and manipulate those numbers and, uh, and move them around. Uh, and make them say uh, pretty much what you want to. Uh, there are even some uh, sociologists and statisticians who have taken uh, and said that uh, the divorce rate uh, among uh, conservatives uh, is uh, worse than, uh, even worse than uh, the general public, and uh, you know, which is really uh, a little bit uh, scary. And again, all of us have heard uh, the 50% divorce rate thing and heard uh, about that, but um, as we dig into it uh, and look at the numbers, uh, research doesn't hold that up. Uh, there's an interesting 
uh, I think it was written, uh, called uh, Christians are, uh, are hate-filled hypocrites and other lies you've been told. Uh, and, that, and, and that's, you know, the Christians are hate-filled hypocrites is one of the lies that uh, go around. But they looked at uh, marriage, and, and they looked at it differently. Uh, they looked at it and they broke it down uh, and said that uh, those couples who were actually active in their faith uh, are much less likely uh, to divorce uh, than anyone else. Uh, that the divorce rate among uh, uh, active uh, Christians, active people active in their faith, uh, was much lower. Uh, in fact, uh, some of the interesting numbers as they began to break them down and look at them uh, is that uh, Catholics, for example, are 31% less likely uh, to divorce than, uh, than the average. Protestant uh, are... Uh, are 39% less likely, uh, and one that is mind-blowing, uh, to me anyway, uh, is that Jewish couples are 97% less likely to divorce uh, than the average couple. Uh, and so they broke it down uh, and investigated it uh, in, in, in that way. Uh, but it goes on. And, uh, and, and they look at it uh, a little bit uh, further that I find uh, to be extremely interesting when it comes uh, to Christians and marriage and, uh, and how the influence uh, of God in a home uh, makes uh, a difference. 53% uh, of very happy couples, couples who identified uh, as being very happy, agreed with this statement. God is at the center of our marriage. 53% of those who, uh, who, uh, of, of those who said we are very happy uh, agree uh, with that statement, while only 7% of those who identified their marriage as struggling uh, identified with that statement and agreed uh, with that statement about their marriage. That, that's, uh, if you've got a 46% swing in, in uh, numbers, that's, that's huge statistically speaking. 53% of very happy couples say God is the center uh, of our marriage. 7% of struggling uh, couples agree with that statement. That's a, uh, an amazing uh, statement. Uh, a one uh, Harvard uh, professor, Harvard researcher, writer, uh, professor, uh, examined it, wrote a lot of uh, very uh, in-depth books on the idea uh, of marriage and spirituality. Uh, and I'm going to quote what he said. He said, highly happy couples tend to put God at the center of their marriage and focus on Him rather than on their marriage uh, or spouse for fulfillment and happiness. Do you hear that? He says even they don't focus even on their marriage. They don't focus even on their spouse. They focus on God. Uh, which just goes back uh, again to the statement that I'm sure many of you have heard. Uh, if you put God first, uh, everything else kind of uh, tends to line up and, and go uh, into the place uh, where it needs to be. Uh, it gets even deeper. Bradford Wilcox uh, from the National Marriage Product says, uh, Active conservative Protestants who attend church regularly are 35% less likely to divorce than those who have no religious preference. 
here's the number though I really, all those stats, all those things uh, are, are interesting, but here's what I really uh, want you to hear. What they label as nominal Christians in name only, uh, those who call themselves Christian, uh, those who perhaps uh, on a fairly regular basis attend church, uh, but in name only, nominal Christians, of those who call themselves Christian, but don't actively engage in the faith, who don't actively, are not actively involved in their church, not actively involved in, in, their, in, their, in their church family, in their uh, spiritual life, but they call themselves Christian, they are actually 20% more likely to divorce than just the general population who don't even go to church. Which is really a staggering thought when you think about it. If you play church, you're probably playing marriage too. Uh, and uh, if, you, if a nominal Christian, one who is not actively involved, is more likely, 20% more likely to divorce than uh, someone who's not even in church. Someone who doesn't even pretend to care about God. Someone uh, who has no interest whatsoever uh, in, in the things uh, of God. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look, and, and if you, you can go back, and I said we looked at uh, the verse 7 last week and talked about uh, husbands. You can go online and look at that. You can read it for yourself. Uh, this morning being Mother's Day, uh, we're going to talk about wives. And we're going to look at uh, the role of uh, of the female uh, in marriage. Marriages uh, that can stand the test of time, uh, marriages that uh, are solid. Again, when, when you hear all those numbers, uh, it boils down to one thought uh, when you hear all those numbers. Those who pretend to be uh, Christian, those who are just in name only, who don't eat, really uh, actively get involved in church, they're more likely to divorce. Those who are uh, not, uh, those who uh, are outside of church, but those who are, who are building their family, uh, their marriage, their life on biblical, God-centered principles, uh, have a far better chance of their marriage surviving than anyone else. And so uh, we've talked again about uh, the, the godly role of a husband. Uh, now let's talk uh, about the godly, uh, the godly wife. And, uh, and, and I realize uh, that uh, today, uh, in 2022, uh, that when you start talking about uh, the role of the female uh, in America today, uh, you paint a great big bullseye on your back. Uh, it's not the first bullseye I've had. It will not be the last. Uh, and so uh, we're going to look at it uh, again from, the, uh, you know, if you get angry, um, take it up with God and, 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 uh, and His Word here, because I'm just going to tell you uh, what Scripture says uh, in, in this passage. First of all, uh, for uh, uh, the wives, He says that we have to recognize the plan. We have to recognize the plan that he laid out. Uh, again, the idea uh, of a wife uh, submitting, uh, as described in this passage, again, uh, is not uh, real popular. Likewise, wives will be subject uh, to your own husbands, he says. Uh, and, and I realize in uh, 2022, 
uh, and uh, women's lib and all the other things that have uh, polluted our society, uh, that is not uh, a popular uh, thought. That is not a uh, happy discussion. One of the reasons for that is quite simply, it is uh, <coughs> the idea uh, is uh, misunderstood. Uh, we really don't know uh, and understand what that means. Uh, again, uh, two aspects, two sides of that uh, coin of, of subjection. Uh, a lot of men want to take that term and they want to use it to uh, just be some kind of uh, you know, authoritarian dictator in the home. Uh, women take it to mean uh, that they are somehow inferior uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the husband. Uh, I want to start really where I stopped last week, uh, and that was when I said to men, what it boils down to is being Christian. Uh, you treat your wife, you treat your home, you treat your children uh, like you are a follower uh, of Jesus Christ, like they are a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and uh, that eliminates, you, you don't need Dr. Phil if you'll do that. Uh, you don't need uh, all the books in the world. If you'll just act like a Christian, uh, a God-following disciple in your home, uh, in your marriage, as a parent, uh, as children, it's amazing how much that uh, will solve uh, in our homes. But uh, again, I know immediately when we start talking about this person being under uh, subjection, uh, there are... Uh, I, I can't tell from here, uh, but I would be willing to guess uh, there, were pro there were past tense, probably uh, some, who were watching us online. Uh, and as soon as I stood up and started talking about subjection, uh, they went over and started watching YouTube videos. Uh, yeah, uh, there, there are some maybe in this room. Uh, who, when you saw the text for the morning, you just kind of turned your hearing aids down. You uh, kind of uh, decided, I'm going to tune him out uh, today. And so let me try to, if I can, take the edge uh, off of this idea uh, of uh, subjection a little bit. Uh, the most important word in that verse that nobody talks about, nobody looks at, is the word likewise. Likewise. We, again, I've talked about this before. Uh, our chapter and verse marks uh, are unfortunate. Uh, again, they were not part uh, of the inspired Scripture. They were put there uh, so that when the preacher stands up and says, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, it doesn't take us all day to get to the same place. And so uh, this word likewise uh, and the fact that it begins a chapter uh, causes a little bit of, uh, of uh, misunderstanding. When, when, when this passage says likewise, he's tying it uh, to what he's been talking about uh, in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, if you go back, and I don't have time obviously uh, to go all the way through, uh, chapter 2, uh, likewise what is the question? And, and likewise what it is, he says, what Peter's just said uh, in chapter 2, he says, like that, then wives be under subjection. Like what I talked about in chapter 2. Now, if we go back and read chapter 2, and again, I don't have time uh, this morning to go into chapter 2. Go home uh, and study it for yourself. In chapter 2, he's talked about uh, how we have uh, eternal life, uh, how we can be saved, how we can know Him, because Jesus was under subjection to the Father. 
Over and over again, if you remember, Jesus during His earthly ministry uh, walked around telling people what? I'm here to do the will of my Father. I'm here. You know, that, that was like, you know, it was like Jesus almost walked through, uh, through, the, through the area, uh, through Judea, the whole time just walking around going, hey, I'm here to do the will of the Father. Hey, I'm here to do the will of the Father. He just kept beating that home to anyone who would listen. And so Peter says, like Jesus was subject to the Father. Well, how was Jesus subject to the Father? We know, we, we preach and teach all the time in the Trinity that the Son, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are, are all equal. We, we talk about their equality. We know that the Father uh, didn't brute around, order around, beast around, whatever, uh, His Son. We know that the Son, again, wasn't inferior uh, in, in any way. So Peter says here, like Jesus, well, His relationship to the Father he says, you be the same way towards your husband. So what I want you to understand, first of all, is subjection, ladies, is not a bad thing. It really is. Not like you've been taught to believe by uh, so many uh, throughout your life. Subjection uh, isn't a bad thing. Subjection actually means we're acting like Jesus. We're acting like Christ. Uh, it's how the husband can see. And let me point out something to you very quickly. Let me jump ahead. If you look in this passage, um, look down uh, and, and see what it says at the end of verse 1. It says that if you do that, he says they may be won by your actions, by your conduct, by your life. You know what that means? Peter was telling Christian women who were married to unsaved men to be under subjection even to their unsaved husband. Now, I know there are some who are, oh, you just knew my husband. You picked him. You chose him. Don't blame me. I might have done the wedding for some of you. I might have signed the license, but I didn't pick you. Matter of fact, I probably tried to tell you not to do it. Yeah. I might have tried to tell him. It just depends. But listen, and so if a Christian wife was to be under subjection even to an unsaved husband, how much more do you think that applies to a Christian husband? If you've got a godly husband that we are uh, under subjection. It's how they uh, can see Jesus. Listen up. It's it's a voluntary choice that we make. But it also, understand, and this is where things go off the rail in in our society today. Being under subjection has nothing to do with your value as a woman. It has nothing to do with your value. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you just like He did the man at your house. Uh, excuse me. The man at your house. I better clear that up. Yeah. Just like the man at your house. That's why it says be under subjection to your own husband. Yeah. Not everybody else. It's just yours. Listen. And, and so it doesn't say anything uh, about your value. Men and women are equal before God. Again, he died, he sent his son for both, for males and females. He sent his son to die for them. Listen, third thing to understand about being under subjection 
is it isn't being passive. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that you get run over. It's about being in alignment under God and recognizing the God-given roles and responsibilities that God has given each of us. That, that's what it means. It's, it's getting in the order uh, that, uh, again, that God has laid out. A husband has responsibilities uh, as the leader of the home. The wife uh, has responsibilities. And so he says to live in submission to your own husband. That's what it means to be under subjection. To live a pure life in verse 2. Uh, to, to live a reverent life. He says in, in another verse, and just listen, I didn't put it there. You don't like it. Again, take it up with the author. Talks about dress like you got some sense. John Reimer, professor up at Fruitland years ago, said what America needs most is a revival at the sewing machine. Yeah, that, that might be the biggest understatement of the world. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm dumbfounded. It's some of the things I see out in public, male and female. I am convinced the majority of people in our society do not own a mirror. <laughs> convinced. I, I just believe that with all my heart. You know, I don't know about you, but I, 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 you know, I'll be 58 in September. Think about that a minute. I'll be 58 in September. Same day that Debbie will be older than me. Um, and uh, you know, I've never once had my hair cut by anybody who didn't turn me around in the mirror and say, How you like this? Is that okay? I don't understand how some people, when they got turned around and said, Is that okay? They went, Yeah, that's good. Your next appointment needs to be the eye doctor. Listen. He talks about the way they dress. Listen, the word simply means that a wife places herself under the leadership. She subjects herself to the authority of the husband. I know that in our society today, that is like all in water in our society. Listen, and I know that for some people it's just absolutely... They reject it. And, and the whole idea of, of women sub being under subjection is uh, antiquated, it, it's out of style, it's old, it's been removed. Um, and quite honestly, some will get mad at you. Yeah. So, some will flat get mad when you start talking about uh, this text. Um, and, and when you, uh, they'll get mad at you, they get mad at the Word of God. Well, here, here's what are they right? Is the Bible what does the Bible say? Um, again, is the Bible wrong when it says that? And the problem is here again, not what the Bible says, but in our understand two things is the problem in our understanding of it, and the way some men have lived it out. The way some men have lived it out. Again, I, I talked about this late last week. I remind you. The Bible says the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church enough to die for her. And I, have, I am convinced there is not a woman on this planet 
who will object to being under subjection if she believes her husband is willing to die for her. If he treats her correctly and treats her right. And here's what it boils down to. Any, I know I'm fixing to make friends in a lot of places. Any woman who reacts angrily or violently or against this passage in this statement is one of two things. Either she doesn't understand it, either she doesn't understand what it means, or she's just absolutely unwilling to submit herself to the authority of God. Because God said that. This wasn't a husband who created this. This is the Word of God. And God is the one who said that. Yes, and again, God doesn't mean the man is to be a dictator. Doesn't mean he's to be a tyrant. Doesn't mean the woman's to be a slave, footstool. Doesn't mean that you know the, the woman is just to run around and and, and you know. And, and, and men, we've all done it. I've done it. I, you know, I remind Ron every now and then when she ain't acting right. If you let me get under subjection. And then I go to my corner and I, you know, I think about what I've done. You know, and, uh, <laughs> that's, you know listen, that, that's not what it means. And what God means again by subjection is cooperation, relationship, partnership, walking together in, in, uh, in life. And between them, listen, if you've got two people walking together, somebody's got to be the leader. And God has chosen the husband to be that leader. That's God's plan. That's his plan. Second thing that Peter talks about here is then the priority. What he says in verses 3 and 4. As he uh, talks there about the priority. Um, when, when he says to them, uh, don't let your adorning be uh, extended all external, the, the braiding of your hair, the jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be in, in internal. Now let me say something real quick. God is, God is not telling us that women cannot or should not wear jewelry or makeup or do their hair or any of those things. It's not a sin. As I have said before and others have before me, it's a sin for some women not to wear makeup. But what he is saying is, what you look like on the outside is not the priority. What's on the inside is the priority. That's what he's saying. Young fellas online here, let me tell you something. You'd be better off married to a woman that could own a house that's right with God than to be married to a beauty queen that doesn't know Jesus. You'll be better off. Your children will be better off by having a wife. Men, ladies, same thing. It goes the other way, too. You might think you want a hunk. You just don't know what he's a hunk of. You'll find out on down the road he ain't a hunk, he's a chunk. He's a chunk. 
He's saying, listen, what, what Peter is saying, he, again, he's not saying that, that that's not, listen, and, and, and in particular in that time, it was, I mean, that was a big deal, probably even more than it is in today's society in Peter's day that the women were doing their hair up and the joy. I mean, it was a big deal. Listen, Peter is saying, listen, it's more important what's on the inside than it is what's on the outside. Now, I ain't going to lie, if you can find a good godly woman that's pretty too, then you're double blessed, but you better worry about the inside. One that knows God, one that loves God, one that's going to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, one that's going to teach your children Scripture, one that's going to walk beside of you, pray with you and pray for you, pray along with you and support you as you seek to follow God. I, one of my one of my favorite songs, that old sixty song, some of you know it. it. Says, "Never make a pretty woman your. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make a pretty woman your wife." And then they kind of do a talking part, and one guy yells, "Hey, I seen your wife the other day. Yes, yeah, she sure is ugly." He says, "Yeah, but she can cook. Looks are not everything." Oh, if we could just get that through to our teenage people. If we could just get, listen, if we could just get that through to our young people today, our, our young people as much as ever, more than ever, are worried about looks and style and fashion. And, and, and unfortunately, here's what's really sad, is a lot of their parents are feeding that trap. They're more worried about their child looking good, being on the ball team, getting good grades, going to gymnastics, dance, cheerleading. I'm not saying your child shouldn't have a, a, a good social life, shouldn't have decent clothes, but if your child goes to hell from cheer class, what have you accomplished? It's about what's on the inside, what Peter is saying. The priority. Listen, ladies, men as well. This is not just a ladies' state. This is a men's state. This is all other state. We need to understand. We need to focus on the internal, not what's on the outside. I shared with y'all before, years ago, when I was in the bread business, and, and they're going from this area now, about the old Winn-Dixie truck. Man, them old Winn-Dixie trucks, I don't know how they got back and forth up and down the road. But I was right out here coming down, right about where the rest stop is, and I get beside a truck, and it's a Winn-Dixie truck, and I look, and if you remember, their truck is always all ugly green. Dark, just an ugly green. And I got beside this and I could see it was white. I said, oh my goodness, when Dixie's bought a new truck. And I get on up beside of it and I notice the door's flopping. And I get to look in the door, there's a bungee cord holding the door shut. It wasn't a new truck, they just put a coat of white paint on the same old ugly green truck. It was still belching, smoking doors, flopping and banging along. Why, if you get your car fixed, they, don't, they shouldn't paint over the rust. They take care of the problem. Priority, he says, is the inside, the, the spiritual relationship. It's not how you dress. It's not how pretty you are. It's not how handsome he is or how pretty she is. It's their relationship with God. Let me tell you something. Some of you figured this out. Looks fade. Beauty and 
Hookanism or whatever you call I don't know what you call them. But man, I don't. I never seen a pretty one in my life. Whatever that is, it'll go away. Their relationship with God, it'll only get stronger. When you're going through the trials of life, and you will, you're going through the battles and the struggles of life, and you will. When you get bad news from the doctor, and I hope you never do, but odds are if you live long enough, you will. I'm going to tell you right now, you'll be much happier. You'll be much more content. You'll be much better off with a spouse that loves Jesus than being married to Miss America. Priority is the internal. Priority is what's in the inside. Listen, a Christian woman focuses on her heart. She focuses. Go read Proverbs 31. Portrait of a godly woman. And see how she's described there. Listen, she focuses on her heart. She focuses on the relationship with God of those around her. And then finally, if there's any question, he says, I want to give you a sample. He says, here's your pattern. He says, here's what I want you to see. In verse 5 and 6, he brings up Sarah. We talked about Abraham last week when Abraham brought the visitors home. And he told his wife, we used Abraham last week. I'm going to look at Sarah this week. Abraham has some visitors he's bringing home for surprise supper. And he says to Sarah, hey, go make some bread. Then he turns around, goes out, kills the calf. He comes back, and he waits on the table. He sets the table. He takes care of the men. But I want you to notice something in that passage. Sarah, when he asked her to go make bread, went and made bread. She didn't hit him over the head with a rolling pin. She went and made bread. Look what he says here in verses 5 and 6. He says, As Sarah... Uh, obeyed Abraham, called him Lord. Listen, Sarah obeyed Abraham. Listen, Sarah's a great choice. When Christian women many times hear preachers talking about put on uh, a gentle spirit, be under subjection. Culture you got the preacher on this side, the Bible on this side, saying be under subjection, be gentle. you got culture on this side saying punch him in the throat. You ain't got to listen to him. Who does he think he is? Yeah, you got, you got both. And you're in the middle. You're in a tug of war being pulled back and forth. God's Word here, over here on this shoulder, the world's trying to convince them, oh, if you live like that, you weep. You, 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 you weep. You're not what God wants. He says, no, no. He says, look at Sarah. Now, I don't have, again, don't have time for this either. But if you go back and you read Genesis, there's more than once Miss Sarah got Mr. Abraham straight. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination you can read the story of Abraham and Sarah and say by any stretch of the imagination Sarah was weak or a pushover. On more than one occasion she read the right act to Mr. Abraham. 
got him straight. Being under subjection doesn't mean you're weak. Doesn't mean that you get run over. I'll give you an example. The Bible tells us that Sarah was still beautiful at 90 years old. When the king tried to take her and to put her in to his, to his hand. And when she did, Sarah stood up. She listen, and rebelled. She wouldn't, she wouldn't go along with it. Now, I know there's people here who have been married longer than I have. I understand that. Some of you have been married longer than I've been alive. Number one thing I can tell you, if I can sum it up, is you really can't do anything to change your marriage. Some of you are looking at me like, what in the world have we been talking about? But you can do something to change you. You can do something to change you. Men, women, this is not just about women. You can do something to change you. While Peter has obviously written these verses to the wife, I think it's real clear to see how the principles carry over and apply to the husband as well. Matters what's on the inside. Matters what's on the inside. Listen, here's what it boils down to again. If you want your marriage, you want to improve your marriage, improve you. If you want to improve your marriage, if you want to improve your home, improve your walk with Jesus. I know that I've told this story a number of times. I'm sorry. I'm getting old and I repeat myself. But I'll never forget him. Because he was one of my heroes of the faith, one of my mentors. Mark Corpse, talking about the couple that sitting in his office, marriage counseling, going at it. And he finally sent the wife out. He talked to the husband from me. He said, I tell you what, he says, this month, he said, I want you to tell her every time you get a chance, tell her you love her, tell her how good supper was, tell her you're glad to be home when you get home, tell her how much you missed her, you know, help her around the house, you know, carry out the garbage, do those kind of things. He says, you do that. He called the wife in. They just had a little conversation, sent them home. Next month, they come back for the council. Man sits down and says, Preacher, I don't know what you told her, but she's a new thing, new, new creature. I want to tell you something. You want to improve your marriage, improve you. Improve your walk with Jesus Christ. You want to improve your relationship with your children, improve your walk with Jesus Christ. You want to improve your relationship with your boss, improve your walk with Jesus Christ. Prove your walk with Jesus Christ. Some of you need to begin a walk with Jesus Christ this morning. You're here today, you join us online, you don't know Christ personally. You've never asked Him into your heart, you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior. The truth is, your marriage will never be what it should be. Your job, your home, your life, until you know Jesus Christ and ask Him into your heart personally. You're in that shape today. If you don't know him, I, I want to invite you in just a moment. We're going to sing. I'm going to invite you to come. Let us show you from God's Word.
how you can know him as your Savior. Men, some of you are like, hey, wait a minute, you preach to the wise, why are you talking to us? Men, can I challenge you this morning to do something maybe you haven't done in a long time? Take your wife by the hand and say, will you come and pray with me? Pray for our home. Pray for our marriage. Pray for our children. Pray for our grandchildren. Pray for your wife. Ask her to pray for you. You want her to be under subjection? Be a godly leader. Be a godly leader. Wives, maybe you've been convicted this morning and you realize you need to get closer to the Lord. That would improve your marriage. That would improve your home. You come and say, Lord, help me to be that kind of woman. Not a doormat. Not a pushover. But one who's more concerned about what's on the inside than what's on the outside. As God speaks to your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, knowing that you instituted marriage, It was your first institution, even before the church. God, you blessed it. You've designed it. You showed us what it ought to look like. That our marriage ought to be the case of heaven. God, I pray this morning to your hearts, husbands and wives, that if husbands would believe you, in their home. Wives would be under submission. And God, they would walk together following you. We'll give you the honor for what you're going to do in this place today. Which is Jesus.